Right, well, uh, thank you very much, uh, Fergus and Donoghue, for your very kind uh, introductions. Um, the Book of Ballymote, by any standards, is a remarkable compilation. Its size and extent, the range of texts it encompasses, and its lavish illumination. All of these mark it out as one of the outstanding productions of late medieval Irish scholarship. Its compilation was no mean feat, but represented a considerable intellectual and testifies to the compilers having at their disposal strong patronage and an extensive range of source material, such as would have been found only in the possession of professional scholars. The Book of Ballymote, accordingly, must have represented a substantial monetary investment by the patron who commissioned it, much as it was professional scholarly undertaking by those who wrote it. As such, there are several questions that the Book of Ballymote poses. In a phrase that has been recycled many times, the opening paragraph of the Middle Irish tale, Ashling of Ikungwana, states that there are four things that should be asked about every tale. Log agus parsa, amshir agus fa arig. Place and person, time and reason for writing. For the Book of Ballymote, we're in the happy position of being able to pro provide full or partial answers to three of these questions. Scribal colophons inform us it was the work of three scribes, Robertus Macshihi, Solovo Druma, and Manus O'Diganon, and that it was written at the house of Tumultuk Macdonucha in Ballymote during the reign of A.O. Crohud as King of Connacht, and that some, some, and that some of the latter parts were written in the house of a certain Donald MacEagan in Capoc Routine in modern County Tipperary. Tumultuch, the patron, was head of the MacDonagh Lordship, Clan Donagh, from 1383 until his death in 1397, and A reigned as king from 1384 to 1406. So the writing of the Book of Ballymote must have commenced sometime between 1384 and 1397. Now, while this information satisfies the questions regarding Log Parsagas Amshire, place, person, and time, we don't know much about the circumstances that led to the Book of Ballymote being compiled. And as it is a compilation rather than a single tale, other pertinent questions can be raised about the material chosen to be included, that is, the literary and scholarly architecture of the book, and the sources the compilers had at their disposal. Now, today I'd like to speak in three parts about firstly the patron, secondly the scholars who compiled it, and thirdly the book and its sources. Everyone should have a handout and you will need it uh, if it's, it should be in the, in the pack or supplied. It's a four page handout and you'll probably need it as I'll be throwing a lot of um, dates, names and uh, figures at you. Now, as already mentioned, a scribal colophon, colophon informs us the work was commenced in the house of Tumultuch MacDonagh at Ballymote. Tumultuch or Tumultuch Moore had assumed the MacDonagh lordship of Curran and Tirerel, East Sligo, in 1383 on the death of his father, Thayag. Clon Donagh, the MacDonaghs, however, were far from being major players in the convoluted and often violent political stage of 14th century uh, Connacht. If we take a look at the uh, map there taken from the Oxford History of Ireland, uh, we see that they, they, don't, they, they don't even, uh, even appear in it. Uh, they're here where the MacDonaghs are. We need to go to a later map. Uh, this I've taken from Ken Nichols, A uh, New History of Ireland, uh, and I've shaded around uh, the, the, the territory uh, in which they, obviously the borders were moving, uh, but 
this is the area in which they were uh, they were centered. Clondonch were far from being major players, as I've said, in the history of 14th century Connacht. A subsidiary lordship of the Shield Muirdi, they lived very much in the shadows of their O'Connor or Crohur overlords and their powerful neighbours, the Mikyermada of Moilurg and Artyach, of which they were a derivative branch. The families being known as Clan Muil Runi Huas, that is the McDermott's, and Clan Muil Runi Hees, the McDonough's. The eponymous Donoghe, from whom they were derived, was Tumultuk's great great grandfather. To the northwest of the uh, O'Connor lordship, to the northwest uh, was the O'Connor lordship of Caerebra in Sligo, which was riven by internal division. Although Murchartach, uh, son of Dovnal O'Connor, had become lord in 1368, his rule was opposed by the sons of Cahal Og O'Connor, former head of the family, who felt they had a stronger claim. To the north of Sligo again lay the uh, O'Donnell kingdom of Tir who claimed lordship over North Connacht and frequently tried to enforce this through military incursion. To the southeast of Clonnoghe were the uh, McDermott's, the Clonnoghe, and immediately to the south of them, the powerful O'Connor lordship of Roscommon. Other notable actors in the stage were the O'Rourke's of Western Breifne, that is in Leitrim, and the O'Reillys of Eastern Breifne in County Cavan. Further west lay the two branches of the Norman de Burgo family, the MacWilliam Burks in the north and the Clanricker Burks, Burks further to the south, neighbouring the O'Kellys of Iwana. Another more volatile element in this political landscape were the Clan Wurte O'Connors, a nomadic branch of the family who, towards the end of the 13th century, had lost their lands in Eris, County Mayo, due to Norman incursion and settlement, and thereafter migrated from one territory to another as a mercenary army. However, any lord who was inclined to offer them shelter did so at his peril, for they specialised, as Catherine Sims has put it, in entering other lordships and try, trying to take them over like cuckoos in the nest by killing the local chieftain. By our period, the late 14th century, they had recently moved from the MacWilliam Burke lordship in Mayo to West Breifne, where they were unwelcome guests of the O'Rourke's. As mentioned, Clondonacha were not a hugely significant family in the politics of Connacht up to that time. They were seen as a junior and subaltern branch of the far more powerful MacDiarmada lordship. Where mentioned in the annals, they frequently, they generally appear in a subordinate role, assisting various O'Connor or MacDiarmada lords in various battles or forays they mounted. Not infrequently, their powerful neighbours brought their will to bear on Clondonacha. In 1342, for instance, Tomothuk's father, Tayag, was expelled from Tirello at the behest of, of uh, Crohar MacDiarmada, who had his own brother, Fargal, installed in his place. Towards the end of the 14th century, however, a change took place in the balance of power in North Connacht. On the death of Tomothuk's father-in-law, Ruadi of Crohid, in 1384, a year after Tomothuk had become head of his name, the Sheil Murray, the Roscommon O'Connor lordship, broke into two factions, that of the O'Connor Don, under the headship of Torloch Og, and that of the O'Connor Rua, under the headship of Torloch Rua. The Don faction was supported by the O'Kellys, the Clan Rickard Bur Burks, Donal O'Crohor of Carbon and Sligo, that is the uh, Carbra O'Connor, and uh, our own Clan Donoghue. 
The other faction, the Rua faction, was supported by the McDermott's, the clan Wirta O'Connors, the, the nomads, uh, the rival uh, Sligo, clan Cahal O'G faction, and the rest of the Sheil Mwirthi, and apparently also the MacWilliam Burks. According to the Annals of Connacht, this led to an outbreak of a long war in the province. The fault lines this development occasioned are quite interesting. For not only do we have the two neighbouring O'Connor factions on either side of the divide, but it also ran through the Sligo O'Connors, the two factions in Sligo. Also the Norman MacWilliam Burks, the Clan Rickard, uh, the Clan Rickard uh, family and the, the, the Northern MacWilliam family, and their neighbours, the O'Kellys. And more interestingly, from our point of view, a major fissure now opened between the MacDermots and their erstwhile subordinates, Clondonacha. And Clondonacha, under Tumultoch, now began to assert themselves, in particular against their rivals, the MacDermots. Looking at the list of events in your hand, I've, taken, I've made a digest, as I speak, and I've taken them from the annals, mainly the annals of the Four Masters, also the annals of Connacht and Lockay, and sometimes from the annals of, of Ulster. So we can see what Tumultoch was getting up to. O'Connor Sligo attacked the Machtyrm, the stronghold in Moylorg, in that same year, 1384. Tumultoch Machtonacha then paid the Macdermots a similar visit the following year. And this is also, also followed in 1385 by an attack he and O'Connor Don launched on the Machtyrmada territory of Kurka Achlan, Roscommon. The Machtyrmada, together with their own ally, O'Connor Rua, attempted to strike back and led an expedition into Tirerel in, in uh, Sligo, but they were ambushed. And in the course of the ensuing fray, Cormac Og Machtyrmada was captured and Felemy O'Connor wounded. Buoyed by this success in all probability, Clondonacha, together with the O'Rourkes this time, subsequently launched a more ambitious plundering raid into Cara, into Cara in Mayo, but on this occasion were met and expelled with some losses by the Clan Chahalog O'Connors, that is the, the rival uh, Sligo uh, faction that were not in power. The following year, 1386, finds them again with their allies, uh, the O'Connor, the uh, O'Connor Sligo, uh, uh, um, the Don Macmurita, and the O'Haras attacking Tirauli in County Mayo. This in turn brought a retaliatory expedition from O'Connor Rua, and O'Connor Sligo and Clan Nonocha. This particular expedition was followed by a plundering raid made by Cormac Macdonacha, Tumultoch's brother and Tánaise, into the Macdirm of the territory of Moilorog. Pursued by O'Connor Rua and Macdirmada, he remained at the rear of the band and in the ensuing counter, although outnumbered, refused to yield and died what the annals report as a heroic death. In 1388, O'Connor Rua and the Vic Diermada again attack O'Connor Don, in retaliation for which the Clan Donacha lay waste to the Macdiermada territory of Mylorog. This period of great hostility was brought to a temporary halt by the conclusion of a peace agreement between the Clan Donacha and the Vic Diermada, as a result of which hostages that had been taken in previous encounters were released. Now, the peace didn't last for long, as you see from your list. Uh, Tumultoch then captured the son of Mach Diermada and imprisoned him. In 1393, this uh, Mach Diermada lord, A. Mach Diermada, who had been lord for 25 years, died. He was succeeded not by one of his sons, but by their cousin, Muel Ruana, son of Fargal Mach Diermada. 
This succession, and I've given you the entry from the annals, this succession, the annals inform us, was achieved through the power and offices of Tumultuch Macdunlucha, a comment that demonstrates not only the enhanced status of Chalmunlucha in the political map of North Connacht, in relation to their one-time overlords, the Mikdiarmada, the Mikdiarmada, the who they were now bossing apparently, but gives us an insight into the political machinations of Tumultuch. For in supporting Moel Ruana, in pre preference to the sons of the deceased Lord A, he ensured an internal split in the Mikdiarmada lordship. And so in that same year, we find the sons of A mounting an unsuccessful uprising against Moel Ruana, the king who had been imposed upon them by, by Tumultuch, and this uprising was crushed and resulted in the capture of several of A's sons. Tumultuch's involvement in the internal politics of the, of the Vic Yermuda, however, did not work in his favour. For four years later, in 1397, the sons of A. with O'Connor Rua engaged in battle O'Connor Dunn and, and Macdonagh. And in this encounter, Tumultuch Macdonagh became isolated from O'Connor Dunn and was slain. He was succeeded by his brother Moel Ruana Macdonagh, and that same year, 1397, Moel Ruana was forced to conclude a peace agreement with the Clan Chahalog O'Connors of Sligo. And the following year, Clannonagh suffered a devastating raid launched against them by Thomas MacWilliam Burke and other Connacht families. Later that same year, Ocrohorua and Macdiarmada made a plundering raid on Tyrell, but are eventually routed uh, by Clannonagh. This encounter, we are told, took place at Moitura, scene of one of the great battles of Irish legend, Ka Muigatherith. And in a recent article, Michal Hoyne has argued with some persuasion that the modern Irish tale of the same name may have been composed as an allegory in favour of the Mikiermada, which the evil uh, uh, in which the evil Formorians are taken to represent the Macdonas, while the favoured Tuadjadanan represent the oppressed Mikiermada. Despite the degree of success that achieved at this point, however, the Clan Donachastar had begun to fade, and in the early 15th century we find them drifting into a period of internecine strife and internal division. This then, in broad terms, is the polit political background uh, to the world in which the Book of Ballymote was written. Bearing this in mind, we should look more closely at the information about its patron supplied on, uh, on the, in the manuscript, and I give it to you on the handout. For it says, for this Tumultuch was Lord of Arteach and the two Currans and the five Glenfarns and Tir Tuahal when this book was being written. This is an interesting description of Tumultuch, but is one we can reconcile with the evidence of the annals. In stating that he was Lord of Arteach, the entry is effectively saying that he held sway over a substantial portion of the Machtierm of the Lordship. And as we have seen, this would have been true. This would appear to have been true in the years up to and immediately after the death of A. Machdiarmada in 1393, at a time when Clonmunacha, under Tumultuch, were at the height of their powers. The entry, therefore, most likely reflects the actual political situation then obtaining. Turning to the Machdiarmada entries then in that same section of the Book of Ballymote, 
The latest Makdirm of the pedigree to be given is that of the aforementioned A, and as he died in 1393, it follows that we should date this part of the book to probably the opening years of that decade, when Thumbelthuk's star was in the ascendant and when A. Makdirmada was still alive. The other important colophon is in folio 62, and I also give it to you in the handout, and it states, for this Thorloch Og, son of A, is king of Connacht, while this part of the book is being written in the house of Thomothoch, son of Taig, uh, and so on, uh, in Ballymote. The Thorloch Og mentioned in, the in this colophon was the first O'Connor Don, Thomothoch MacDonoghue's overlord and firm supporter. But he was not a full king of Connacht, as the note would have us believe, for the title had to be shared with his rival Thorloch Rua, who isn't mentioned. Again, this entry shows a strong Clondonacha O'Connor Don bias. The Book of Ballymote then would appear to have been commissioned when Clondonacha under Tomaltoch enjoyed this meteor moment in their fortunes, and the two matters can hardly be separated. As we know, prominent Gaelic family, prominent families in Gaelic Ireland, their leaders and their deeds were normally celebrated in verse composed by a professional bardic class. The corpus of bardic poetry that has been transmitted to us contains some 70 poems of Connacht provenance that were composed between the mid-14th and the early 15th centuries, the time we're talking about. This body of verse contains quite a number of compositions written in honour of various families, Omadagans, the O'Kellys, the O'Mailes, the Magaurans, Mick Yermada, the O'Rourkes, and of course many compositions honouring various members of the O'Connor family. We even have a number of poems composed in honour of the MacWilliam Burks, and one for MacDorchay, Lord of the Tiny uh, Kenel Duachan in County Leitrim. For Clonunacha, however, no such poetry has been transmitted to us. And even if we were to cast our net wider to include the whole corpus of 2,000 or so poems composed between the 13th and 17th centuries, we would fare no better. The absence of any Clonunacha poetry may simply be an accident of history reflecting the fact that none of their poetry has survived. Or it may be that not all families chose this manner of celebrating their success and honouring their leaders. But it is perhaps more than, than noteworthy that, that one of the highest points in their history is marked not in verse, but by the commissioning of this remarkable book to which we'll presently return. What then of the scholars who compile it? We have the names of three of the scribes who wrote the Book of Ballymote. Of Robertus MacSheehy, we appear to know nothing. Zolovo Druma may have belonged to the literary family from Fermanagh, and Tomás Concanon sees another example of his hand in the fragment of Thornbow Flithish found in the Yellow Book of Lecan, which he dates to around 1380 AD. The third scribe, Manus Odiginan, was a member of the celebrated North Connacht family of historians, who were associated with the Church of Kilronan and later with Castlefour in County Leitrim and Shanhuach in County Sligo. In two colophons that appear in the later part of the, of the manuscript, Odiginan states that he was working in the house of a certain Donald MacEagan in a place called Capacruzin, identified as the modern townlet of uh, Caporatton, in the barony of Clanwilliam, County Tipperary. So we have two locations for the Book of Ballymote, Ballymote itself and Capacruzin. Odiganon also refers to MacEagon as his ide, teacher or tutor. Now, the annals of the Four Masters record in 1452 the death of a certain Mons Mac Milatlan Rua 
Odiginan in Castle 4. And this has been tentatively identified uh, as our scribe. If this is true, and I'm not fully certain that it is, then Monus, who was engaged in pe penning part of the Book of Ballymote over 60 years prior to his death, must have lived to a good old age and must have been very young when he worked on the Book of Ballymote. The fact that he refers to MacEagon as his age may lend some support for this. Of Donald MacEagon, we have no firm knowledge, but it seems almost certain that he was a, a member of the Ormond branch of Clonaeagon, a famous learned family who acted as historians to the O'Connors and other, uh, uh, and, and other uh, Connacht uh, families. It's not fully clear what Odiginan intends by use of the term Ide in refer to MacEagon. It may be that as a youthful scribe, he was perfecting his art in the school of an experienced practitioner. But such tutelage would surely have been available to Malnus from the ranks of his own family. Notes by Odruma, the other scribe, also occur in these later parts of the Book of Ballymote, and it may be that he also was present in MacEagon's house. But as an older and presumably well-trained scribe, it is difficult to see why he should be going back to school, so to speak. It may be that the term Ida is used by the younger man, Odiginan, as a term of respect for an older and highly regarded scholar, a master of his art. If so, then the reason for one or more of our scribes travelling to Ormond may not have been simply educational, but may have been for the purposes of copying material from MacEagon's library, material that was not available to them in the repositories of North Connacht. And these um, references occur towards the end of the Book of Ballymote, where um, uh, Manus is transcribing the classical texts. Now, uh, we'll see presently these classical texts, and uh, there is the subject of uh, further uh, uh, of Watcher's uh, lecture uh, following me, um, are not found in some of the other uh, compilations of the time. They seem to be, uh, at this time, somewhat unique in the North Connacht area. So it may well be that they were being copied there. However, this is, uh, this is uh, speculation. The Odignans, to whom our scribe belong, were one of the most prominent literary families in the Middle Ages. Like many other such families, their origins are obscure, and they first seem to come to light in the late 13th century, where we find them ensconced as historians to the Convac Narain, the O'Farrells of Longford. They subsequently served Clonmelruane, uh, uh, the uh, MacDermots and the MacDonnells, and were founders of the church in Kilronon in Boyle, County Roscommon, with which they had close associations, both as lay and ordained <coughs> church uh, functionaries. Uh, if we look at the obit of uh, the obit of the wife of Fergal Rua O'Diginan, who uh, erected uh, Kilronon, uh, she died in 1347, uh, and this styles her husband as the Olive of Convacna and both branches of Clan Wail Rua. Uh, that is, the McDermott's and the McDonough's. Uh, on his own death, uh, later on, uh, he, is, uh, he is referred to uh, as the Archdeacon of uh, Kilronan. And I've given you several other references there uh, in the annals, and there are far more, to members of this family being both, uh, both lay and clerical members uh, of this family, and down onto uh, the end of the, of the 14th century. Now, the learned classes of whom we're talking, and who wrote the, the book of uh, Ballymote, lived in a parallel world to the lords and potentates they served. As the latter frequently engaged in bloody strife with each other, raiding, pillaging, maiming, and killing, 
They and their deeds were celebrated in verse or in other literary forms by their poets and scholars. Enmity between patrons, however, did not necessarily translate into enmity between their literary adherents. Poets, as we know, could move freely between patrons and were not overly constrained by their patrons' political outlook and a similar situation obtained with other members of the learned orders. So the fact that Clondonacha and the Mikyermada were engaged in bitter strife would not have prevented the Odiganons serving both. Their situation might be compared to that of modern present-day lawyers who uh, go to the, uh, to the courts and are engaged in hammer and thongs, struggle with, with, with each other on behalf of clients who might hate each other, but then when the day's work is done, they retire to the horseshoe bar uh, for some conviviality and talk and set to it again uh, the next day. It may well be, in this case, that one member of the uh, Dignan family was involved in the Clondonacha Book of Ballymote, while some ten, ten years later, uh, another composed the Machtiermda Kamuya Thirad. And apart from this, we've plenty of good evidence of scribes visiting houses of other, members of other learned families uh, for the purposes of copying material. So, finally, what, what, what kind of book uh, is the Book of Ballymote? Other late medieval family books frequently take the form of duonri, poem books, in which members of the family and their deeds are celebrated. And they also may contain some other related material material relation to the family. The Book of Ballymote is certainly not of this order. And indeed, if there was Mahdunacha poetry in circulation at the time, one might expect it to be appended in some way to the Book of Ballymote. But the contents of Ballymote range from biblical history, texts in prose and verse associated with the legendary history of Ireland, regnal lists, historical poems, synchronisms, wisdom texts, extensive genealogical tracts, lists and pedigrees of Irish saints, uh, text dealings with rights and privileges of various class of people, uh, tracts that are written in, in encyclopedic form, such as Cor Anaman, the Ban Hanachas, the Din Hanachas, and it concludes with a number of classical adaptations into Irish. This work has been described as a miniature library collected for the relaxation of the prince who commissioned or bought it. Although it would appear from what, we, although it would appear from what we've just learned uh, that the form of relaxation that appealed most to Tumbletoch was burning and laying waste to the territory of his neighbours, uh, the MacDermots. Uh, Erich Popper disputes this description with regard to the classical material in the book and points to the compilation's general historical thrust. Indeed, in describing the somewhat similar contents of the near-contemporary Great Book of Lecan, Paul Walsh characterises it as a book of shanachas or history as that term was understood in ancient and medieval Ireland. The term covered not merely historical records, as we class documents, ancient documents today, but also material relating to antiquity, which we would now put under the heading of legend or folklore. The greater part of the contents of the Book of Ballymote can indeed be seen as traditional history, be that biblical history, the history of the classical world, Irish prehistory, even the Irish saga texts, the small number of saga texts that are found in the Book of Ballymote, serve to expand and explicate important nodes in the prehistoric sections of the genealogies. Uh, also historic are the, the uh, genealogies of the Irish saints, 
on the genealogies, the lay genealogies, so to speak, which run from prehistory down to the present in which the Book of Ballymote was compiled. This then would appear to be a book that was planned with some purpose, at least in the texts that were chosen for inclusion. Where were these texts sourced? As they contain material belonging to the Old and Middle Irish periods, the Book of Ballymote must, must, must have been transcribed from older manuscripts, such as would have been found in, in the possession of professional scholars. And as we can associate the involvement of a number of literary families with the compilation of the book, we can assume the materials were found in centres of learning associated with these or other similar families. But let's begin looking at the sources by noting an older manuscript that was present in the area at that time and was surely available to the scribes, but was not used for the Book of Ballymote. This is, of course, Leverne Hydra, the oldest Irish language manuscript to be transmitted to us, and which we know was kept in the O'Connor stronghold of Sligo, staunch allies, uh, allies of Con Monocha. As recently as 1380, this manuscript had been renovated by Sigrid O'Cornin of Breifne, who referred to it as a Skiavlaur, a beautiful book. Yet, despite its antiquity, its contents were not deemed uh, worthy of inclusion in the Book of Ballymote, probably because it did not suit the purpose of the compilers, and also because they must have had better exemplars uh, available to them. Some of these exemplars are known to us, and I list them on the handout there. At various points in the Book of Ballymote, the scribes mention the sources of works they transcribed, the Leor Quillen, uh, the Salter Cormac, uh, and so on. None of these books now survive, at least not under these names, the Book of Glendalough uh, being a, a, a debatable uh, exception there, uh, but evidently were of some importance, for they're mentioned as sources in some other late medieval manuscripts. It's far from certain that the scribes of the Book of Alimote had direct access to all the originals of these manuscripts. Mm. Certainly, it seems most unlikely that they had the King's Dromashnacht in front of them, and it's more likely that they had access to a transcript in which the King's Dromashnacht is mentioned as an ultimate source. On the other hand, the identification of the Book of Glendalough as the Book of the Diagnans, I give you the uh, reference there uh, from uh, one of the National Library of Ireland manuscripts, uh, 17th century Michal Clare. The Book of Glendalough is um, identified as the Book of their Diagnans, may suggest that this manuscript was available to them. Although it's remarkable, the Book of Ballymote is not entirely unique. For we have other manuscripts, the contents of which are quite similar to the Book of Ballymote. In particular, the near contemporary books of Lekin, uh, of which Nolak or Morila will speak tomorrow, the Book of Iwana, and the earlier Okianan Miscellany, which share much of the material found in our manuscript. A cursory glance at the context of these codexes and consideration of their close temporal and local association, that is in Connacht, in mid or north Connacht, uh, temporal and local association with each other, would suggest that they all go back uh, to a single original. Indeed, the manuscript sources mentioned in Lekin tally to a fair degree with those referred to in the Book of Ballymote. And there is close correspondence between some of the material found in both manuscripts. But closer comparison and uh, examination of other texts shows that we're not dealing with a case of straightforward copying or of a shared exemplar. For instance, 
though the books of Ballymote and Lecan contain the uh, core animal, the version of the text contained in each manuscript is quite different. Likewise, the contents of the Din Hanachas, the place name lore, uh, these texts are also different, as are the versions of Leornag Garth, the Book of Rites, and there are other significant differences in the genealogies. It would appear, therefore, that there were variant versions of these texts available in scholarly circles, and that historical compendia, such as those we've mentioned, were relatively common. For what purpose, then, were these historical compendia compiled? Given their historical thrust and genealogical core, one would say that they were used by those who dealt in genealogies, Olives of Shanachas, professors of, of uh, traditional history. But if I'm not mistaken, uh, much of the material found in them would also belong in the curriculum of bardic schools, and a knowledge of or access to such material would have been essential to the court poet, be it to list a patron's pedigree or to draw upon an appropriate apologue to include in his poem or for other purposes. The fact that our compendia also contained grammatical tracts, treatises on prosody, also would point in this direction. Several of the texts found in the Book of Alimot um, are of the 12th century or represent 12th century reworkings or additions of earlier material. Here I'm thinking of Cor uh, Anaman, the Ban Hanachas, the Din Hanachas, Leornagart, and others. These are sometimes referred to as works of antiquarian learning, but I'm not at all sure the word antiquarian serves a useful purpose here. These are, in many senses, digests of traditional history and learning and served a purpose. Their com compilation this century, century, the 12th century, I would suggest, shouldn't be separated from developments that were taking place and ongoing in the organization of learning at the time. These texts had a dynamic function in the schools of traditional learning, the ecclesiastical and increasingly secular locations associated with learned families, where they formed part of the curriculum of learning or were available as a resource for different functions. And we shouldn't insist here on the rigid adherence of families to one or other of the different branches of traditional learning, especially where it comes to the branches of filiach poetry and shanachas traditional history, where it appears that some families were adept in both, the Odaignans, the Moel Conras, uh, were, um, were, um, were both uh, poets and, uh, and, uh, and historians. And even Sean O'Dogan, who supplied, uh, whose book supplied most of the material for the uh, Okeanon miscellany, uh, composed poems in honour of the Okali patrons. The Book of Ballymote belongs to this tradition. It's a compendium of Irish and world history, such as we've been taught in the schools of the learned. And there is an underlying unity or through manipulation of the, of the biblical tale of Noah and his ark, of which there is an illustration in the Book of Ballymoat, traditional historians had succeeded in forging a link between the Irish and the other peoples of the ancient world. As a decorated and illuminated work of art, however, it was a book for public display, and the patron could have traced his own genealogical tree in the book, in, in the book uh, back to Noah and even further. For there, on the pages of the Book of Valimot, were the great and the good of world history. Hector, Achilles, Caesar, Cúchulán, Brian Borova, Cahal Crodiarog, and countless others. And proudly positioned among them was Tomultoch, son of Taig, son of Tomultoch, son of Murias, son of Donoghue, king of Arteach and of Chereril, and of the two Corans and of the five townlands of Glenfarn. Thank you.